Blue Bomber podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. Thursday night, IG Field. Winnipeg Blue Bombers will host the British Columbia Lions. Greg Mackling, Derek Taylor, the voice of the Blue Bombers. It is the Blue Bomber podcast. And Derek, this game is about as big as it gets eight weeks into a CFL season. Yeah, and it was funny on the coaches' show. Mike O'Shea wouldn't really, uh, you know, doesn't like talking about that. It's a, it's another game, and we can get to the reasons why I kind of agree with that, but. From a fan's perspective, it's enormous, right? Because they play BC three times this season. And let's just let's consider the, the worst case scenario. If the Bombers lose this game, they are two wins behind BC, plus BC wins the season series and has the tiebreaker. So from here on in, from weeks nine through twenty-one, the Bombers would have to win three more games than the BC Lions. Based on what we've seen from BC thus far. I don't know that that's possible. They've lost their quarterback. They they still won. Their defense is 2021 Winnipeg Blue Bombers level of effectiveness thus far. All that going, hmm, they can't host the West Final. We can't expect that they would have a real chance to host the West Final if they lose on Thursday. That, to me, makes it an enormous deal for us as fans. Right, and so we're agreeing from that point of view because I was actually... If you were going to disagree with me, I was going to use your own math on you because based on the yeah. whole idea of kicking field goals and instead of going for touchdowns in third and one and third and goal situations, uh, that whole math that you just outlined works in those, you know, scenarios on a micro level. Working on this macro level, not only do you have to do what you need to do, you have to do it this many more times than the, the team you're trying to catch, whether it's on the field or in the standings. So then, why are you in in some ways agreeing with Mike O'Shea that this isn't necessarily the biggest deal or the end of the world if they don't manage to win on Thursday? Yeah, so O'Shea says, you know, it's it's a week eight game and it's an important game because it's week eight. If it is as important as we think it is as fans, you would have to think, well, okay, well, what can the Bombers do with that information? Well, they can try to win the game. Well, they're going to try to win the game every every time they go out there virtually, right? And before the, the playoff seats are settled, they're going to try to go out there and 100% win every game with every player who's available and at their, at their best, right? So I, I kind of get O'Shea's point of, sure, that might be the case, but it's not really actionable for us. We're trying to win the game anyway. And I, I, he said, no, no, no game is more important than the other. And I said to him, well, what about the Grey Cup? Because, well, the, the Grey Cup is, is profoundly, you know, the reward is, is different, but still you're trying to win 100% of the time. Every time you go to the field, every guy's trying to win. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I kind of get that. If it's, if it's not actionable information, if it's not something that you can use to change how you're going to approach something or should use to change how you approach something, is it really important information? So I, I kind of understand mm. where he's coming from. It feels theoretical to me, though. You and I have bought into the Blue Bomber language about, you know, win again this week and the whole idea of going 1-0 and every week. That's a language that you've sort of been, and we've been forced to adhere to and adapt uh, because the Blue Bombers, that's the way they speak. That's Blue Bomber speak, so to say. Yeah. When it comes to this, that feels 
theoretical, and I understand where the coach is coming from, but you can't tell me the enormity, the ramifications of a loss here aren't seeping in, creeping in somewhere into the psyche of the players and to a certain extent the coaches. I don't think the the importance of this game is lost on too many people. I'm, I'm with you on that one in that from O'Shea's perspective, it's not particularly actionable, but I look at it and go, well, if, if I was one of the guys, I would probably do an extra 15 minutes of this, or I would make sure I'm in bed 10 minutes earlier that, because uh, to me and GMAC, I, I don't know if you're the same way, but, but I go, okay, well this game against BC and next week's game at Edmonton, I don't think they require the same level of preparation. They may, coaches and the organization may want the same level of preparation for both of those. Let me put it this way, because it was an experience of my high school football life. If your star player was going to be hung over for one of those games, which one of them would you want them to want it to be? And right. to me, it's obviously Edmonton next week, right? You want, you want everybody at their peak for the BC game, and shout out Darren Krause for uh, 1992 Photos Cowboys in high school uh, football playoffs. If there is a way to take, you know, an extra couple of minutes or an extra couple, you know, seconds at film, or you know, my stretch is a little more important, or my recovery is a little more important, it's a hundred percent for this week because if you lose to Edmonton, sure that might that would be embarrassing, but the odds, the chances you lose to Edmonton are minimal compared to the team that fed it to you in week number three. Yeah, and the implications are so different. Yes, it would be you don't want to be the team that goes into Commonwealth and loses for the first time in 22 games. But in terms of the standings and making up that win, just as you outlined off the top, a completely different scenario. You're not going to make up for a loss this week. It really is a standings killer. Let's be honest, if you were able to get Wade Miller off the record this week, you know that the revenue from that West final is already counted in the bottom line somewhere. Uh, It might not be (laughs) out in the open, but you know Wade's already counting the dollar signs. O'Shea on the coaches show said about seedings and how it would be great to host the West final. Uh, He said "Ah, the Great Cup's been won a lot of ways in, in previous years. And you look at it and you go, okay, totally fair. In 2019, the Bombers were the three seed. Uh, they went to Calgary, they went to Sask, and they won the Grey Cup. And you go, okay, cool. That's, that's absolutely possible. But if you look back since 2000, more than 60% of the teams, 60% of the teams that are, have represented their division in the Grey Cup were the number one seed for exactly the reason you think. Because you only play one game and you have it at home. Being the top seed and getting the West and East final is such an enormous advantage for making the championship game. You can say, yes, you can, you can win you know, two, two road games or you can win a home game and a road game and go to the Grey Cup. 100% you can, but 100% that it's possible. But more than 60% of the Grey Cup representatives since 2000 have been number one seeds. It's a massive advantage to host that West final. And you really don't want BC to be hosting that this year. We had Brady Oliveira as part of breakfast with the bombers on the start. We didn't get too deep into, you know, the matchup and what went down with BC earlier this season. It was not a good game for Brady and the offensive line. We know that it wasn't a good game for the offensive line as it pertained to protecting Zach Calera. So on the offensive side of the ball, that's got to be the key, right? I 100% agree with you on that. It was the first time uh, with Zach starting as a bomber that they allowed more than five sacks. 
and they allowed seven. And you go, well, that's you can't do much with that. I, I would love to try to dig back and go, how many teams that gave up seven sacks ever won a football game? Because it, it can't be too many. So keeping Matthew Betts and David Menard and Woody Barron and Josh Archibald off of Kolaris is, is critically uh, important. You know where I am with the run game. It's nice to have it, and it'll be good to seal up the game. But uh, if Kolaris can't throw the ball, it's going to be problems. And the other part to that is that defensive back six for the Lions is really good. And they've been together. A lot of them have been together quite a long time, right, with Gary Peters and TJ Lee and Marcus Sales, the former bomber. And they've added in some pieces along the way. But that's a really good back six as well. So Kolaris needs some time because, to me, it's that much harder for Schoen and Lawler and Dembski to get open against a crew like that. It all will have to work in concert, but it starts with being able to protect Kolaris. Do they keep Brady in more? Do they do they use Liam Dobson as the sixth offensive lineman more in past sets? Can you go Dobson plus a fullback in some sets and just go seven-man max protection? What's Buck Pierce going to uh, roll out for this one? Because, yeah, last time, I mean, last time, there were two sacks with three rushers against five blockers, uh, five bombers blockers, and there were two more sacks with four rushers against six blockers. And that made Doug Brown so mad. Like It just frustrated them so much in the booth going, how can three guys be schooling five guys? It just, you can't, you can't allow that to happen. From the BC 21-yard line, three receivers left. Kolaris looking left, pressure immediately. And Matthew Betts just drops him down. Matthew Betts walked around somebody again, and he's blowing kisses to the IG Field crowd. I would feel like I'm the biggest man on earth if I had Matthew Betts' game tonight. That's the most important factor in the game for me. Not only is it embarrassing, and not only should it not happen, but the logistical problem that poses is the fact that it takes away also the intermediate passing game in terms of a safety valve for Zach if you only have three guys rushing and you're getting pressure well that means you have nine guys back in coverage and that means even your receivers are outmanned exactly well exactly and BC can do a ton of things on that back end with with dropping nine guys in that three on five case it was a great boon to the Lions in that game and uh, the Bombers have got to figure out how to get them out of it if it's you know, and, and I mean, kind of the conventional ones of, well, how do you keep quarterback pressure? Well, what about screen passes? What about those jet sweep runs? That'd be great, except for there's nine guys back to cover that stuff, right? So exactly. you, if, if you can get, if like, like you say, if you can get pressure with three, and you can consistently get pressure with three, you're going to win a lot of football games. Yeah, that means the football is in front of you most of the time as a linebacker, defensive back. So let's flip to the other side and talk about one of each for the Blue Bombers, the prospect of Kyrie Wilson returning to the lineup. You know how much I love him, and I think you and I are on the same page when it comes to Kyrie Wilson. The impact that he's had over the years when in the lineup, it takes some pressure off of Adam Big Hill to do big things. He's tremendous in coverage, as exemplified by his interception in the in the Grey Cup back in 2021, the, the, really the game-ending play in the Grey Cup, but it's more than that. I think Wilson is just a really a stabilizing force on that D. He, he really is. Uh, O'Shea talked about, you know, he's, he's, he's tall, he's an excellent athlete, but how he's gotten smarter over the years. On the coach's show, he was praising how good Kyrie is at sniffing out screen passes and stuff like that to the point where I thought, 
oh, I'm probably going to need to need to give him a nickname if it really goes well in the in the first couple of games of his return. Like, uh, and then I was working on it, like the Screen Lantern, the Screen Hornet. Are we doing a green thing? <laughs> How do I get to a nickname? If anybody has any suggestions, at DT on OB uh, for superhero nicknames involving screenplays would be, uh, I would love you forever on that one. When you look back at big, let's say big running plays specifically, where the, the bombers get gashed, you go, Mm, uh, someone should be in their gap a little better. And if, if Kyrie Wilson can be in his gap a little better, you think of, okay, well, the 33-yard running plays aren't going to be a thing, so that'll be, that'll be a weight off their mind. And then you think of, well, if Kyrie is, is full motion and he can cover, and Richie Hall can move folks around, what does that free up Adam Big Hill to do? Man, Big Hill looks good when he's able to blitz the quarterback from depth, right? Or he's able to you know, be standing over the center and picking his spot about where am I going to go absolutely crush a, an opposing quarterback, right? So the, the things that having a player of that quality could allow Adam Big Hill to do, in addition to the stuff that Kyrie Wilson himself brings, I think it was probably very exciting to Richie Hall. So Winston Rose is an interesting name as well. Will he and should he? On the should he part, and and for folks who haven't necessarily been with us for everything we've ever done, last year in charting out defensive backs in coverage, I didn't. There were no defensive backs in the CFL that, by our charting, allowed more yards in coverage than Winston Rose. And as Bomber fans, you you think back to okay, yeah, that that feels right with Jalen Acklin in the first couple of the weeks, and then Dylan Mitchell of Edmonton in the home game. When you look back at big. Let's say big running plays specifically where the, the bombers get gashed. You go, mm, uh, someone should be in their gap a little better. And if, if Kyrie Wilson can be in his gap a little better, you think of, okay, well, the 33-yard running plays aren't going to be a thing. So that'll be, that'll be a weight off their mind. And then you think of, well, if Kyrie is, is full motion and he can cover and Richie Hall can move folks around, what does that free up Adam Big Hill to do? Man, Big Hill looks good when he's able to blitz the quarterback from depth, right? Or he's able to, you know, be standing over the center and picking his spot about where am I going to go absolutely crush a, an opposing quarterback, right? So the, the things that having a player of that quality could allow Adam Big Hill to do, in addition to the stuff that Kyrie Wilson himself brings, I think it was probably very exciting to Richie Hall. So Winston Rose is an interesting name as well. Will he and should he? On the should he part, and and for folks who haven't necessarily been with us for everything we've ever done, last year in charting out defensive backs in coverage, I didn't. There were no defensive backs in the CFL that, by our charting, allowed more yards in coverage than Winston Rose. And as Bomber fans, you you think back to okay, yeah, that that feels right with Jalen Acklin in the first couple of weeks, and then Dylan Mitchell of Edmonton in the home game. Is it still Winston Rose's time? It looks like he's going to replace Abu Dharami Soiree at that field side cornerback. It makes sense within their logic, right? Of Winston is a veteran. Winston knows what we're trying to do here. He knows how we're doing it. He knows the guys that he's going to be working with. Uh, you know, he'd be on that side with Evan Holm and Reddick Cramdy. He knows those guys. It it makes sense from their perspective to replace a a guy who's new to the Bombers this year with a guy who is very familiar with everything we we want to do and all the guys that are doing it. And we'll be watching. He had some rough games and rough plays last year. I think in six out of seven games this year, I've noted, oh, there was a guy running wide open, deep behind Bombers defensive backs. And he maybe, maybe he didn't get the ball on target. But that's, that's, to me, been one of their real troubles and struggles this year. 
Evans, four-man rush, stepping up and gunning. Oh, wide open is Keandre Smith at the 10, and he's in for the touchdown. Oh, my goodness. Front flip into the end zone, but again, a Hamilton Tiger Cats receiver wide open on the deep ball, and again, Hamilton scores. Well, he did have that five-touchdown, no-interception game in Hamilton last year against the Bombers, right? That was the full-strength Bombers squad. Oh, right, that was Dane, yes. Dane, Dane, Dane Evans was just launching missiles all over the place. Like, that might be the best game Dane Evans plays in his life. He was he was awesome that day. And I'm in no way I'm, – I'm not a Dane Evans guy. I don't I'm – I'm not on Team Evans. But, man, was he good in that game. Holy cow. So, But – then think back to the the home game last year where it, it seemed like if if the bombers breathed on Evans he was throwing the ball away or he you know he didn't have or didn't perceive that he had much time to make reads before he just hummed the ball into the stands right as i kind of went back through it i went i wonder what dane evans game log against the bombers looks like and there, there was the 5 and 0 oh, and there was another good game but the gray cup was uh in 19 was one touchdown and two picks and you know, he just looked very uncomfortable uh, with, you know, Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat getting after him. And for, for all the stuff Dane Evans has, uh, and, and you know, he's absolutely got some some skills, but he, he hasn't reacted well in my mind against pressure from the Bombers. I put out to, uh, uh, to a buddy of mine, I said, I want to find something in my life I love as much as Dane Evans patting the football standing in the pocket and he said what about slurpee is i said yeah okay slurpees i love slurpees as much as dane evans loves standing in the pocket yeah. patting the football he's just like you just i'm just watching it going if i'm a lions fan i'm thinking rip the ball throw it now don't pat it two more times before you yeah. throw it but he just he needs he wants that extra beat and it it hurts him in making completions like oh you're late on that throw because you were thinking about it a little too much uh, those are the kind of things that the Bombers can take advantage of, right? One, Jeff Coat Jefferson can absolutely cause him havoc. And, you know, quarterbacks who are under pressure are 80% more likely to throw interceptions. And two, uh, Demario Houston and Winston Rose and Evan Holm and Adam Big Hill can be pulling down interceptions if, if he is, one, under pressure, or two, you know, late in throwing footballs. That gives the guys a little more time to react. And, and they're going to be able to force some turnovers if Evans is doing what has been for this season, Evans things. I've always thought, uh, Dane Evans, it, dude, just settle down and make your decisions just a split second more quickly and you would be so much more impactful and effective in this league because I like what he brings overall. Like when he does release the ball, Dane Evans throws a nice football. Like he he can pick the guys. He just needs to do what he does a little bit more quickly. But it, we've spoken so much about the impact that this receiving core of the Blue Bombers should have. And BC's, by the way, uh, no slouches either on that front. But as I look at the league leaders in receiving yards, re- even targets and receptions, yep. in those three categories, only one receiver shows up in the top five from either team in each in any of those categories, and that's Dalton Schoen with 52 targets. He's been targeted the fifth most of any receiver in the league. This feels odd to me. We should be seeing way more BC, way more Winnipeg in these categories in my mind. Yeah, I think from the BC perspective, Hatcher and Rhymes have both missed some games, right? They weren't available for the first game against Winnipeg. 
so yeah, to me, that's that's kind of why. And guys like Justin McKinnis have have uh, you know helped them out and, and cleaned it up along the way. Um, from the Bombers' perspective, Dembski's just catching everything, so you don't really have to feed him the, the ball too many times to get twenty whatever it is catches out of out of him. And then Lawler is just you know this will be his second game back. It is uh, unexpected. BC, apart from the Toronto game, BC's just kind of rolling up points and they can you know move away from the passing game as the as the game gets along because it's kind of in the books already. So yeah, it it is surprising, but I I think by the end of the season we're going to see to see the guys, you know, exactly where we think they should be. Now we welcome to Breakfast with the Bombers, the leading rusher in the Canadian Football League, Brady Oliveira. Brady, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us, Brady. And listen, uh, does the fact that BC plays with just four days between game days have the potential to impact Thursday's game? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, they're coming off a short week. Uh, you know, like Oak said, you know, we've won off of short weeks. We've won games with having, you know, lots of days of rest. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, they're coming off a short week. That has nothing to do with our preparation. Um, you know, we just got to continue to do what we do, come in here every single day, um, have a great week of work, great week of practice, and then let the rest uh, take care of itself. But uh, what we do know is that obviously it's going to be a very, you know, exciting game. You know, that's a very competitive football team, and, uh, you know, they're good all around. So, um, you know, like always, you got to expect everyone's best, but I think especially, you know, with the BC Lions team there, you know, they're one heck of a football team. So, uh yeah, you know, it's going to be a fun one. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, yeah, it's going to be good. Brady, where are you right now? Are you in the car? Are you inside? Because we are watching this this storm just envelop downtown. Whereabouts are you? <laughs> I'm in my car right now right outside the facility. But I was driving from, I live in Riverbend, so uh, North Main, right by Spears Golf Course. And as soon as I was pulling out of my driveway, I already saw these dark clouds and it's been getting, as I've been driving to the stadium, it's just been following my vehicle. So I look in my rearview mirror right now and it is quite dark uh, near my end of the city. I think you just dragged that, that storm right with you all the way to, uh, to university of Manitoba. How'd you spend your, how'd you, how'd you spend your off week, Brady? Oh yeah, it, it was uh, it was much needed. I uh, spent lots of time uh, with my dogs. I usually am out doing some rescue work, but I spent lots of time with uh, with my dogs. We went to the cabin for a couple of days. Uh, did lots of uh, paddleboarding. We're on the boat. We did some wake surfing, um, jet skiing a little bit, and then I played a bunch of uh, golf games. Actually, I played about four or five rounds of golf, which was fun. Um, but yeah, it was good just just to relax get the mind off of uh, football a little bit, get the get the body back to, you know, 100%. Uh, and, yeah, you know, get a couple workouts in here and there and get ready for BC. Played four or five rounds of golf. Where'd you play? I, so I played at one of uh, – I knocked it off the list. I've always wanted to play at Granite Hill. So uh, I was in Lassabani at the lake for a couple of days. So I figured I'd, why not get a round of golf like Granite Hill. People say it's one of the nicest courses in Manitoba, and I would probably say they're very accurate when they say that statement because, you know, they have about five or six holes along the water across along the lake. And 
uh, yeah, it was a beautiful day. The sun was out. It was it was awesome. Uh, and then I also got to play at St. Charles Country Club, which I've always wanted to golf at, it being a private course. And, uh, yeah, so I got to golf at two nice courses that I've always wanted to play at. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a good bye week. Atta boy, atta boy, and I would concur. Granite Hills is easily, uh, Jesse, it's one of the most amazing courses we've got here in Manitoba. So that's great that you got to play that. Uh, but on the now that we're back to getting ready for football, we mentioned off the top, you're leading the league in rushing, 526 yards in seven games. Last season, it wasn't until the seventh game of the season at Edmonton that you really got things going. So is there another level of play that you're searching for this year to kick it up a notch? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, you talk about last year, how it went to me, you know, obviously a little bit of a slow start. And it's crazy that you think that, you know, I look back uh, from a year ago today, you know, week seven is, I guess, you know, when I started to get things running. And then now, you know, we, we were able to, you know, start off, start pretty fast this year. And, and that was, uh, that was my biggest thing this season was, you know, start fast, you know, play my style of football. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm still a very young football player. I'm, I'm only 25. Um, and I'm, I'm not even playing my best football yet. You know, obviously I'm not even in my prime. So I continue and strive to get better every single day. And I think, you know, as a football player and probably as fans watching the game, I think you can see, you know, every single week I continue to get better and, and I continue to get into a better groove with the offensive line. And I think, you know, being with them more and more in meetings and, and getting on the same page with them and, and growing my football IQ, I'm continuing to, to grow as a, as a football player, as a running back. So I think you're going to continue to see, you know, me improve on a week to week basis. And obviously, yeah, there, there's big things that I, I would like to accomplish, you know, in my, in my career, not really going to touch on that, but I, I know where I want to be at the end of this thing. And, um, and yeah, so it is exciting. Um, but, yeah, I continue to get better every single week. All right, Brady, you prepared to have a little bit of fun with us? We've got some uh, some short answers, some rapid fire style. You prepared for this? Hope you were studying. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, fire up that stopwatch. Here we go. Let's begin there on an exam. Fill in the blank. Multiple choice or essay answers. What do you prefer? Uh, multiple choice. Xbox or PlayStation? Uh, Xbox. Go-to video game for Brady Oliveira? Uh, Fortnite. Have you been to a Winnipeg Sea Bears game yet? I have been. Favorite NFL team growing up? Minnesota Vikings, Adrian Peterson, baby. Okay, then we'll just jump ahead to favorite CFL player growing up. Ooh, I'm going to say it was between Charles Roberts and Bill Siegel. Dogs or cats? I think we know the answer to this one. Say that? What's the, what's the question? Dogs or cats? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> I like cats, but dogs all day, every day. Okay, Grand, Be- Grand Beach or Winnipeg Beach? Oh, Winnipeg Beach. I actually had a cabin growing up. My grandma had one in Panema, uh, which is like 10 minutes down the road from Winnipeg Beach. So I spent lots of time at Winnipeg Beach. All right. Up. Three quick ones. How do you like your eggs? Uh, funny side up. Bacon or sausage? Uh, turkey bacon. Turkey bacon. Good call. Uh, and uh, are you eating toast, white, brown, or rye toast, Brady? Rye toast. You are a Winnipegger, my man. 
<laughs> well, good for you for eating turkey bacon. You're a healthier person than I am. Uh, but uh, Brady Oliveira, you're kicking butt so far. Keep it rolling, and uh, Godspeed on Thursday. We're looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Edmonton was the flagship franchise in the CFL for a, for a lot of years, and I yeah. lived through those years. And to see it uh, come down the way it has, you know, the empire that was uh, Edmonton Eskimo and Edmonton Elks uh, football is uh, tough to watch. But I have to say, I'm somewhat reveling in it, DT. Yeah. Guilty, guilty, schadenfreude. Yeah, guilty yeah, exactly. Joy. But is that good yeah. for the league? But, is it good for the league for the, the Elks to be struggling like yeah. this? Because, you know, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, Calgary and Edmonton, sort of the heartbeat of, of the CFL along with, uh, along with Hamilton to a great extent. I, yeah, I don't think it's great. Um, I don't think, but I don't think it was great when Ottawa was so terrible for so long. Good in point. Pre, pre Tyree Adams, Dustin Crum era right um the dustin yeah, crumb is, era we've anointed this after uh for a 10 10 halves of football have we okay or 10 quarters hey, of football i like it first team in cfl history to win back-to-back games in overtime i heard saying. that somewhere but, on cjob but that's it's just been a lot of fun right that uh that two game stretch with crumb has been a lot of fun for the cfl if not so for the uh for the bombers, I mean, it'd be great because Edmonton, I think, under under their new president and CEO Victor Kui, and and new, he's been there for a couple of years now. I, I think really is doing some great things to to make strides to appeal to you know the next twenty years of of Edmonton Elks fans. Uh, so I, I would love to see them have some success. And I mean, when they when they shot their shot and went, yeah, you know what, this Chris Jones guy won a Grey Cup and he he had some success in in Sask in the regular season. Uh, this is the name that we should probably go and get if we can't have, uh, you know, it, when Jamie Elizondo exploded and when Scott Milanovic, we had him and then we we lost him to the NFL during the COVID year. Um, I, I guess it was the play, but it's honestly, this is this is another podcast for you and me, but I, I think the Chris Jones hiring and, and the problems with the coaching cap that it, that it you know, it has currently – I think it probably changes the way that that future guys get contracts in this league because, I mean, if they're if they're stuck with Chris Jones for two more years, uh, and they're zero and eight currently, and they go zero and eighteen or whatever the equivalent is for this team, three and fifteen. Oh boy, oh boy, and they, yeah, it's there's there'd be a whole conversation in there. It'd be, it'd be great if Edmonton was great. It'd be great if all nine teams were great because I'd love to see Ottawa such a vibrant football market and man, Montreal. Okay. Montreal really needs to figure stuff out, but, but they've got a new billionaire owner and they're making strides and who knows what they're going to do with French language TV rights. If they get their fingers into that pie and it'd be nice if Toronto was great and you could potentially revive that market and Hamilton, man, fans in Hamilton, uh, there's a long history of Tiger Cats fandom and Box J boys, and you know it's a beautiful stadium, Tim Hortons Field. So I, I, it'd be great if everybody was good, except for the riders. Obviously, they can, they can burn. Come on, we're bombers. It's a bomber podcast. Yeah, they but can, yeah, they can suffer, suffer endlessly. As far as I'm concerned, no question about that. Yeah, the Elks won a Grey Cup in 2015. They're, they're hardly the, the longest pained franchise currently going. Yeah, that's uh, fair enough. 
Let's jump back to this Blue Bomber-Lions game. What do you see? I mean, I know you took a little bit of heat, at least in my circle, about the idea (laughs) (laughs) about, you know, the Blue Bombers being able to pour 40 on them. I don't think that's going to happen Thursday night either. This, this, This is a good football club no matter who's at the helm uh, in terms of quarterback that defense is is so rock solid how will we know that the blue bombers have figured something out in terms of how to move the ball against the lions defense what'll be your your first clue uh i'm gonna say minimum one touchdown minimum two long drives and at least one more where we went okay that wasn't bad uh and double digit points from the offense like if they don't have 10 at halftime, uh, including a touchdown, I'm, I'm really going to wonder on the other side of, of halftime because two field goals after they put up 40 burgers in weeks one and two, two field goals against BC, I, after what we saw in those first two weeks, I thought totally reasonable to expect, man, they're going to run it up on this BC Lions team because, man, they don't have Nathan Rourke back. They don't have their top two receivers. Let's go. And it has not turned out to be that way. And that offense has kind of never shown uh, the same as those first two weeks. So, yeah, I'm going to say a touchdown, double-digit points, two really good drives, and at least, let's say at least two more drives where he went, okay, that was better than two and out. That was fine. That was was good. I feel good about where they are. You're going to need points because, I mean, as much as BC didn't look uh, amazing against Sask when Evans came into the game after that initial drive – I do not want to be the guy in charge of trying to hold that offense down because it is loaded with with weapons at the skill positions. Who had less sleep over the last, uh, well, by Thursday it'll be 14 days, Richie Hall or Buck Pierce? Oh, I'm going to say Buck Pierce. I was looking at the numbers, and this was, I didn't have the week eight updated numbers because it's 2023 in the CFL, um, but Yards per play, BC was allowing few, less than five yards per play, like run and pass combined, which is an unbelievable number. And they were allowing, I think it was 13 and a half offensive, opponent offensive points per game. And I said, how do those compare to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in 2021 when they were an absolute monster on defense? And it was better in yards per play, and it was right there on opponent offensive points per game. And I thought, Oh, if they're going to put out the Winnipeg 2021 defense, I don't, I kind of don't know what teams are going to do. If that's how it turns out 13 weeks from now, that, that what's been there all along was as good as the Bombers were in their second Grey Cup year. Uh, yeah, I, I, Buck's got to really figure out where and, and how to, to, to get something off of that. Because I, I think we, we all remember with giddiness how, how much the Bombers suffocated teams in the fourth quarter of that entire 21 season. That is the right answer, by the way. Buck Pierce should have uh, spent more time getting ready for this week because I suspect some things are haunting him right now. And and I suspect that he's going deep in the playbook this week. I think we may see some things we've yet to see this year, not only from the blocking schemes, but even perhaps from some of the uh, routes the guys are running and maybe even uh, just mixing up personnel. Who knows? Guess on my part. Uh, But the uh, guesswork goes away Thursday. Bombers, Lions, it's a showdown 
for first place. It's a huge game. Don't let the Blue Bombers convince you otherwise. Get out and see it. It's going to be a fantastic night for football. As we speak, 28 degrees is the forecast high. Sunshine. It should be just another perfect night for football at IG Field. I don't care what the cost is. Nick Dembski. Kalaus for Dembski. The five and a touchdown. Dylan Mitchell's going to get one on Winston Rose. Going deep for Mitchell on Rose. Got to the 20 and he's going to walk into the end zone. You know what I've learned about CFL fantasy football is that it makes me hate players. Kamar Jordan, I don't know anything about him, but I hate him now. Welcome back to the Blue Bomber podcast. CFL fantasy. I've moved all the way into exactly six thousandth place dt i didn't have blue bombers to pick last week so i didn't but i went with my with my namesake more or less austin mack it didn't do the things that i wanted him to do i took dustin crumb based on his salary yeah. it worked okay for me but uh, reggie begleton probably my star player this week did some good things and that toronto argonauts defense wasn't too shabby either with another win six and oh big win in halifax in that Al- touchdown atlantic game uh, the the rough riders of saskatchewan losing yet again uh three names that we should have circled if we're uh, setting our lineups uh, as we're listening to this podcast I'm going to say Kenny Lawler. Uh, I haven't seen his price, but I assume he's not the full rate of 15000 So uh, anytime you can get a guy who I suspect gets that many targets, as he will on Thursday, would be a good one. Uh, if you're if you're looking for it, I, I'm reluctant to say Keon Hatcher, uh, but he, he'll work that field side for the BC Lions, and that may be a spot where they can find some success. I don't know if I trust Dane Evans to get it there. Uh, but uh, that's something to to watch for. Gosh, this is a uh, this is not the greatest week for CFL fantasy. Chad Kelly's probably too expensive, but there are points to be had against a banged up Stampeders defensive team. Uh, you know what? I would start looking at Montreal Alouettes too. Maybe it's not Austin Mack, and maybe Kayon Julian Grant's price is getting out of control. Mm. Uh, but they were finally able to unlock William Standback a little bit last week. And Hamilton is not a very good football team, so the Alouettes, even if they're on the road, uh, would be one I would look at. And I would, I would want to – honestly, I might go back to Dustin Crum uh, just because his price is going to be good. But SAS defense can really cause teams a lot of torment. So uh, I, it, might be a, it might be a Nate Bahar week as a guy who, who gets a lot of targets you know, with Crum in at quarterback. But uh, this is not – this is not a great. I want I want great teams playing terrible teams as I pick in week in weeks in fantasy. And this week we've got two great teams playing each other, and the Argos, the other great team, playing you know uh, a team I just don't know what to expect in the Calgary Stampeders. So and then a crap circus in the other two games. So it's a rough week for fantasy. I may not get out of 288th place in the CGOB league this week. Yikes. <laughs> so you're um, right in the middle there. I, I don't know where I am in, in our league. I should check that. So I'm going to stick with my Toronto Argonauts defense. I'm just uh, grudgingly so impressed yeah. with how the Argonauts are playing. We went into that in some detail last week, so we don't need to do that. Uh, Dustin Crumb, I don't know. I, Jake Mayer was pretty good for me two weeks ago, uh, but I'm definitely not picking him this week against Toronto. That would be counterintuitive to take one the the, the defense and then take the quarterback uh, that's playing said defense. So maybe Cody Fajardo in Montreal. I would pick him now because I'd never pick him when he was playing for. Saskatchewan. 
<laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's not Boldy by Mitchell for Hamilton this week, right? I suspect that they must go back to Taylor Powell because they're banged up beyond belief. So if Hamilton's offense can't hold on to the ball, that means more chances for Montreal's offense, and Fajardo might be a, might be a real solid pick. All right, and uh, Tevin Jones, it's going to hurt me, but I... I, I I might have to find a way to get him on my team. You know, speaking of not picking Saskatchewan Rough Riders, he's been pretty impressive, yeah. you know. Yeah, Tevin Jones, Sean Bain has been really good. Move, I mean, moving from a backup in Calgary to a starting role, double-digit targets, is it, in consecutive games? Like, yeah, they're really, they're really working the Sean Bain. And, I mean, if you're looking at Sask, uh, keep an eye on if Kean Schaefer-Baker is back. Because, oh, yes. Uh, if if his price is right, he's a very important player to that offense. Uh, that said, I don't think they have anything at quarterback with Trevor Harris still being out. So no, you know you, it's you a make real, a good point. It's a rough week for picking fantasy. Oh boy! <sighs> All right, Derek Taylor. <laughs> we'll uh, reconvene in seven days' time. Can't wait for Thursday night. I think it's been a long time since I've been this excited about a game taking place in August. I I have to confess to you. Yeah, uh, 100% agreed because it is it is a huge huge game to the you know to the Bombers playoff run even though the playoffs are still, you know, 14 weeks away. Yeah, and I think that just bodes well. We can talk about all we want about parity in the CFL. We can talk about some of the lousy teams and some of the meddling teams, but when you talk about BC, Winnipeg and Toronto, uh, that's that's a that's a three way gunfight. I'm down for that. I'll meet you in uh, downtown Tombstone at high noon. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday nights. Coach's Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it and listen to it at your leisure, you can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you for spending some time with us.